Matthew chapter 18. Let's pray and we'll see what the Lord has for us today. Father, as we open up your word, Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts. Your word is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. Gets down deep into us. Lord, your word knows us so well. As we read these pages, we find your spirit convicting us, also comforting us. And Lord, we just appreciate the power, the divine nature of your word. That your son was the word made flesh. And everything that we read day after day, week after week, is all evidenced in the life of Jesus Christ. And so not only do we have the written word, Lord, but we have, thanks to you, your word lived out, how it looks in a person's life. So, Father, I pray that we would all be imitators of Christ, following in his footsteps, seeking to live according to him and not to the world. Lord, you need to continue your work changing us. We are not finished yet. So we submit ourselves on the anvil of life today, Lord, on the anvil of, of, of um, family, on the anvil of, of relationship with the hammer of your word to continue to work out the kinks in our life, Lord. Do away with anything in our lives that doesn't please you. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, I said it's uh, Super Bowl Sunday. That's not new news to any of you. Uh, we will watch two teams. Many will watch two teams, a bunch of huge men wearing tights. That's problematic to me in the first place. Tackling each other. Uh, they will dodge. They will run. They will throw. They will kick to decide which one is the greatest. I wonder... As I read Matthew 18, as we look back, it began with this discussion, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Caused some conflict between them. And anytime people are concerned with figuring out who's the greatest, you better believe that it's going to cause some conflict. So on the football field, there's a way to work out conflict. There's a way to decide who's the greatest. Throwing, kicking, punting, running, dodging, tackling. My question is, Maybe some of you grew up thinking that's the way you solve conflict at home. Running, dodging, kicking, screaming. How did you learn how to solve conflict at home? You see, the verses we're going to read today are so vital. Absolutely vital. Some would say, hey, these are tough verses. I say, no way. These are beautiful verses. These are necessary verses. Because you grew up in, in whatever kind of family you grew up. Some of you grew up in very healthy families and and what was modeled to you was love and the ability to work out differences and work out difficulties others of you grew up with the exact opposite example there was long times of silence the cold shoulder there was kicking the one who won the argument anybody grew up like this the one that wins the argument is the one who yells the loudest maybe some of you grew up in that kind of house where someone would disappear for days or weeks because an argument had taken place but now you're saved, or you're, at least you're sitting here in church today, and you come into the church, and you, and you figure that that's still how you're supposed to solve problems. That way you learned when you grew up. And Jesus is telling us today that there is a right and a wrong way to solve conflicts, to deal with difficulties as they happen. It's not by the way the 
the Giants or the Patriots do it. It's by the way Jesus tells us to do it. Because we come into the church and we have expectations in the church, don't we? Like we're never going to have a conflict. Like everything is going to be peaches and cream all the time. But we're human beings. We blow it. We don't mean to. Well, sometimes people do. But normally we don't mean to. We just step on each other's toes. Well, let's read a little bit and then we'll hash this out a little bit more. Uh, because and One more thing before I get into this is there's a lot of talk about how do you know if your church is successful? How do we know we've had a, we have a successful church? In the world, there's measures of success. Are we, is there more income? Uh, are we reaching more people? Um, are, are we retaining our clientele? There's a lot of ways in the world to decide if you're successful. The church oftentimes adopts worldly ways of deciding if we're successful. If the budget's going up, if more people are coming, and so those can be the things that are looked at. But in a family, because it begins, Matthew 18, 15, begins with, moreover, if your brother. Brother is a family word, isn't it? It's not a business word. It doesn't say, moreover, if one of your clients, if a patron. It's a family word, brother, because the, the church is the family of God, the household of faith. And I don't think we judge success by whether or not we're growing in numbers. I think we judge success by, the, by whether or not we're growing in maturity. And one of the ways, one of the sure marks of maturity is are we learning to handle conflict? You see, children, little children, aren't real good at that, right? One grabs a toy, the other one grabs another toy, hits person number hits child number one with toy number two, and they cry and they scream and they argue and they fuss. That's childish. Not so in the body of Christ. We must mature. It's time for the church to grow up, isn't it, in, time, in terms of relationship. Uh, we just struggle in relationships, don't we? Especially in America, because we're so f- afraid. Well, let's, let's get into this a little bit. Verse 15 says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So this is just a little process that Jesus lays out. I I have a sneaky suspicion. Remember, back in chapter 18, verse 1, We saw uh, the disciples disputing, arguing about who was the greatest. Then Jesus uses that as an opportunity to talk to them about humility, about sin, that sometimes our own sin is what needs to be dealt with. Sometimes it's we who are causing others to sin. But then sometimes it's us who are sinned against. Someone wrongs us. Someone hurts us. Someone, you know, gives us the raw end of the deal. And I think, and this is just a sneaky suspicion, coming down off the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter stuck his foot in his mouth once again, and there's James and John with him. And I think as they're disputing, something was probably said that was hurtful. Maybe this has been an ongoing discussion or, or argument between them, and I think Peter somehow, and the Lord knows this, gets hurt in this exchange. Because look, after this, this whole section, look down at verse 21. You see, Peter comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother? Or shall, shall my, my brother sin against me and I forgive him? 
So Peter's listening to this, and, and I think that Jesus knows some, there's been a, a disruption as they've disputed in their relationships. It's just a guess. I can't say that for certain. I'm just looking at the, just observing what I see. So as he says, okay, here guys, there, there's a way to deal with your own sin. There's a way to make sure it's one thing if you sin again, sin yourself, but you don't want to bring other people into that, especially children. But what if you're on the receiving end? My brother sins against me, he says. Tell him his fault between you and him alone. This is the first step. Um, and I think that it's no mystery that it happens. It's almost inevitable that someone's going to step on your toes. I was at the soup kitchen Friday. You guys know my deal. I love going to the soup kitchen down in, in Charlottesville and had met a guy two weeks ago. Wonder, I mean, we just had a great, just one of those times when you talk to somebody. <clears throat> you know, a lot of times there's passing conversation, but every so often you meet somebody and you just have a conversation and you know that that conversation was a little deeper than normal. He'd been in, in prison for two years. He just got out. He'd been divorced twice. He said, you know, I just, I just shouldn't be around people. I just can't deal with people. I don't do well with other people. I just need to be left on my own. And, and I said, I know, how that, I know that feeling, but it also stinks to be alone, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, the Bible says it's not good for a man to be alone. So there's this dilemma, and I told him the porcupine story. And I know I've used this before here. I think may have, maybe it's been a while, but it really illustrates the point. You see, there's this thing called the porcupine dilemma. And there's two porcupines, and it's a cold winter's night. And the porcupines know that they need to stay close to get warm because they're, they're out, they're, they're separated, they're cold. So they try to move close, and as they move close, they feel the warmth from one another, and they like that, so they get a little closer. And they get a little closer, and pretty soon, what do you think starts to happen? they, they got all these needles, so they start to poke one another. They start to hurt each other. And so oh, they decide, oh, we're too close now, we need to move apart. So they move apart, and then what happens when they move apart? They get cold again. So it's, there's no, it's called dilemma because there's no resolution. It's a tension that always exists. The farther apart you stay, the colder you are. But the closer you get, the more you get pricked and poked and those kind of things. And that's the dilemma with church, isn't it? I mean, that's our issue with church. We know we're supposed to be here. We know we're supposed to, to, to we can't do this alone. But yet we get involved on an intimate level with other people. And then sometimes we get hurt. And so we come into church and we kind of keep sort of a little distance we don't want to let anything get too close. So we're sort of warm-ish, but we're safe still. The Bible calls us together not for what we can get from one another, but what we can give. You see, there's no way to remain distant when we are called to love one another. That means in your attempt to follow the Lord and to love one another, you will get poked. You will get pricked. You will get stuck. And it will hurt. Didn't Jesus get poked in the side with a spear? Didn't he get stuck in the hands and feet? Absolutely. What, what did it for him? It was he, love. He did it for love. And so we come into the body of Christ, but the question is, how do we deal with these things? So if your brother sins against you, it's going to happen. Um, the, it's not in here, but I'll tell you this right off the bat. In Proverbs 19.11, this is a verse that helps me out a lot. It says, it's the glory of a king to overlook a matter. Actually, let me quote this specifically. I put it out in a different version here. A man's wisdom gives him patience, and it is to his glory to overlook an offense. 
Another way it's written, a person with good sense is patient and it is to his credit when he overlooks an offense. Sometimes someone can wrong you and you can just, you know what, it's not even worth it. Not even worth addressing, not even worth talking about, not even going to bother. Just going to forgive them and move on. And if you can do that so that it doesn't affect the relationship. Because see, sometimes you can avoid a situation, but that's by avoiding the person. And that's affected the relationship. And that's no good. That means you're still dealing with it. But if you can overlook it and continue to treat the person as you've always treated them and not even mention it, just forgive them and forget it, then do that. That's great. But if it's eating at you, if it's bothering you, they've really stepped on your toes, they've really done it this time, and you just can't let it go, it's caused a rift, it's caused a division, then the Bible says go. You go. It doesn't say go on to Facebook, let your community know what happened and who did it. That's just not even fair. Do you know that? It's not fair when you start laying out your case before a whole community and the other person doesn't get a chance to tell their side. That's just so not fair to the other person, is it? So you have to be an initiator. This is very hard. And our young folks are in here today. This this can even be for you and your parents. Sometimes you got to go to your mom, go to your dad. Say, man, it really hurt me when you did that. I'm struggling when you said that. And, And vice versa. It brings people together. So it says, go and tell him his fault. It doesn't say go and chew him out. Go and give them a piece of your mind. You don't have that much to give. You better hold on to what you have. You initiate it. Because what is our, what, how do we usually deal with when we're hurt? What do we usually do? We run as far away as we can get. If you have a string of broken relationships in your life, this may be the very sermon the Lord has been waiting to talk to you about. Because you just, when someone hurts you, what do you do? You just run as far as you can. You avoid. You don't want to deal with it. You don't want to mess with it. You just figure out, move on. That is not the Lord's way. That does not bring people together, does it? You go. You tell them his fault. Because so many times, it's just misunderstanding. So many times, he, she didn't even know that that you took it that way. Sometimes you're just being oversensitive. And they, they don't even know that what you said hurt. Or that what you, remember, I think Peter got hurt in this. I think someone, maybe John said, you know, maybe John's talking to James and Peter overhears it and he says something and Peter goes, man, that hurt. You ever do that? You ever have someone, you hear, overhear something being said about you or you hear the gossip about yourself and you're, man. I had a guy, uh, not too long ago, he had, uh, been part of the church. He'd come back to, uh, to visit one day. And um, he, he was standing out there, and I was, you know, me, I'm like, what, after church, my mind's in a thousand places. I got a thousand things I'm thinking about, trying to do, and trying to get to, and take care of. And evidently, I walked right by him, just didn't even acknowledge him, didn't see him. I was probably like, you know, boom, tunnel vision. I, I had something on my mind, and I was going for it, and I didn't even see him. And so I got an email a couple of weeks later and said, oh, yeah, you know, Thanks a lot. You just totally blew me off in church. I said, oh, man, I didn't even see you. Honestly, I really didn't. If I'd have seen you, I'd have said hi. So, you know, we worked it out. It was a little misunderstanding. And we were able to get through that. Because he gave me the opportunity by coming to me to work it out with him. 
I am so thankful. Look, where I sit, what I do, I got lots of opportunity to sin against you. <laughs> Trust me. I am going to sin against you. I'm going to say it from here, and you're going to be offended by it. Or I'm going to say it to you in a counseling session. Or I'm going to say it to you in passing. Or I'm going to do something that just offends you. I just, you can't have 300 relationships and not offend somebody on occasion. It's just going to happen. Trust me. So please do me a personal favor. Give me the courtesy of at least coming to me and telling me. Because otherwise, I have no idea. I just go, well, where'd so-and-so go? We haven't seen them in a couple of weeks. And you're sitting at home, or you've moved on to another church, and, and because you assume that I meant to hurt you, or, or whatever. And this is the same for each other, isn't it? Please give the other person the opportunity to reconcile. And when you don't go to them, you don't give them the opportunity. And that's just wrong, isn't it? Wouldn't you want, if, if you hurt somebody, you didn't know you hurt them, you said something and someone was mad at you, wouldn't you want them to come to you so that you could reconcile with them? Absolutely we would. So Jesus says, look, go tell him his fault between you and him. What's that next word? Alone. Alone. Keep it very quiet. I think, again, I think the offense was public. Personally, I, I can't say that for sure. I think this was, this got the 12 disciples and they're all disputing about this. I think something was said among the whole group and everybody's kind of like, whoa, did you hear that? Oh man. And then the person who was offended says, don't chew him out in the middle of the group. Don't embarrass him. That's not the issue. We're not here to try to get one back on you, to try to embarrass you or put you down, make you look bad because you made me look bad. Is revenge the way of the Lord? Somebody say revenge is not the way of the Lord. Revenge is mine, says the Lord. It's not not for us. Not for us. So you go alone. You say, hey, can we have lunch together? Can we get together? I just got something I want to talk about. And I'm always so thankful. And when that happens, look, when, when that happens, if you go alone, it stays quiet. The gossip mill doesn't get going. It doesn't say go to, doesn't say go to your pastor uh, and, and tell him so that he can deal with it. Because here's what we'll do. We'll try to, like, Sort of do it, but we'll avoid it by going to somebody else and say, well, now you address it. And if there's any fixers in here, please, please pay close attention. This is huge. If you're a fixer, which means someone comes to you and begins to lay out something that happened to them, and you go, oh, really? And you're just sucking it in, sucking it in? Don't do that. Here's what I do. When, that's what I try to do. I don't always get it right. But when someone comes to me talking about a third party that's not present, complaining about something they did to them, I say, whoa, ho, hold on. You're talking to the wrong person. I can't help you with that. Best thing I can do for you is to say, that person you're telling me about, you go to them. Don't come to me. Go to them. Because I can't help you with it. All I can do is, you know, where, where there is no kindling, the fire goes out. But if I put kindling on their fire, can I can't believe they did that. How dare they? The nerve of them. We got to tell Pastor Steve. We better put this on Facebook. We're going to have to send an email, you know, all these ways. So if he hears you, you have gained your brother. That's the idea. It can end right there, can it? Stops right there. It's over. I had a family that had come to me one time. I had offended them and uh, said something that they didn't particularly appreciate. And, and they came in. And, and thank God they came in. We talked. And, uh, and I said, well, you know, what is it that I've done? And they laid it out. And I said, man. You know, all I can say is I know I'm not perfect and, and I need you to do me a favor. What? I need you to forgive me for what I've done. I heard them. I heard what they were saying. And it's not about being right and wrong sometimes. It's just about 
letting forgiveness happen. And so um, forgiveness happened. And, and you have to be willing to hear sometimes. It's hard to hear you were wrong, isn't it? It's hard to hear you've hurt somebody. It tend, tend, we tend to have this, uh, we justify ourselves. And that's sometimes what happens. So you go to someone, just the two of you, and, and sometimes they hear, and then you gain your brother, and the relationship is mended, and everything goes forward. And actually, it's probably stronger than before that. When a muscle or a tendon is torn and, and it repairs itself, it usually repairs stronger than it was initially. The scar tissue is stronger. And that's how it is relationships. I have some relationships with people that are stronger because we had an issue that we struggled through together. And it made our relationship stronger. But, verse 16 says, if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. So, you just it's obvious the two of you aren't working it out. It's just an impasse. You say one thing, you say it's black, they say it's white. You just can't work it out. You ever been there? Just a disagreement. We're not getting anywhere with this. So that's the time to get other people involved. It could be other people that were involved in the situation, two or three other people that saw what happened. Uh, Deuteronomy 19 is what Jesus quotes here. Look, if you're going to... Um, if you're going to convict someone of an offense, then it takes at least two or three witnesses. If it's just you saying it, maybe you're wrong. This is a huge verse for me in my life because sometimes I'll have someone tell me uh, something about myself. And I may or may not. I, sometimes they tell me, oh, yeah, I'm aware of that. Ah, I hate when I do that. But sometimes they go, ah, I never really saw that about myself. So I'll tell you what, here's what I'm going to do. I appreciate your input. And I'm going to talk to two or three people that I know and see if they say the same thing. This is a di- little different than this passage exactly, but this is just a practice I have in my life. So I'll go to my wife because she will be honest with me. You need to go to someone who's going to be honest with you. I will go to my wife, and oftentimes I go to one of the other elders. Say, hey, someone came to me. They said I do this, that, and the other thing. Do I? And if they go, um, well, Steve, since you bring it up, yeah, you do. Oh, really? I do? Oh, no. And then you got to deal with it. And you got to deal with it, right? But maybe they're wrong. So when you bring in other people, now, now the group is growing. It's sort of like a little Christian intervention. If two or three people are coming and saying, hey, you've got this ongoing issue of sin. It's hurting other people. Now you're confronted with, with more uh, evidence. And now, you're, now you really have to think about it. You know, you really have to. To deal with it. This might be the time you get a mediator or come for counseling. Husband and wife. If you got issues at home, you just can't resolve them. Find a, find a Christian, solid, biblical counselor. Someone from the church or someone in the community who you know knows the word of God and will tell you the truth. Bring them into it. Keep it quiet. Keep it confidential. No need for the, everybody to know. Now the next part is... So that, that, then after that, maybe it re- gets resolved. But verse 17, here's the possibility. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. Okay, that can be an ugly one, can't it? <laughs> if we don't understand what's being said, um, church just simply means congregation or assembly. There's, and it can be, you know, I don't think the church certainly wasn't uh, existence in existence yet at this point. But there, there was this little group of 12 disciples. And I think that, again, I think the offense was with, within the group. 
So it's not like, look, trust me, if something happens with you in your life, we're not going to get up here and blab it to the, to the congregation. Hey, guess what, everybody? Guess what we found out? No, that's just silliness. The idea isn't to embarrass you. How many of you have seen, there's a, this trend, I guess, in psychiatry called an intervention. Have you seen that? Sometimes if there's a person in your family, maybe he or she is an alcoholic or involved in drug use or abusive. And, and the, the person they're married to has tried to deal with it. The kids have tried to deal with it. And you, this person won't hear that they got a problem. They just won't admit it. And so now you get the whole family together. And you come to that person in love with concern. Because you want them, what do you, do you want them to be embarrassed? Do you want them to be hurt? No, you want them to be honest. You want them, you, you, so as a group, there's power in confronting somebody with a group about their sin. Because the ultimate goal, folks, is what? Confession and repentance. That's what we're driving out here so that that person can be restored into the fellowship, so that relationships that have been hurt can be restored. Is this making sense? I mean, I know it's hitting very close to home. That's why I love these verses. Because you have no idea how to handle conflict in your life. You've been doing it wrong all these years, and, and this is obedience. Look, do two wrongs make it right? You see, if someone sins against you, you might have the tendency to then sin against them in return. Well, they did this to me, so I know what the, what the Bible says, but I ain't doing that. And then what happens? It just continues to spiral out of control. Someone has to stop it. And it's got to be you. Because two wrongs... you. So they might deal with you in the wrong way, but you have to deal with them in the right way. And this is the right way. So telling it to the church, telling it, um, taking it to the, con- to the group, saying, hey, I've been talking to this person. You all saw what happened. There's no res- They won't listen to me. Can we go together? Can we meet with this person? Can we confront them about what happened, the reality of the issue? And man, I've seen some excellent results from that. People get healed from that stuff because once you're, you're, you're confronted with it, it's kind of like you break. And you go, oh, it's reality. You, gotta, once you, you see, sin wants to stay hidden, right? Sin wants to stay hidden. Sin, listen, listen very carefully. Sin thrives on staying hidden. And when we bring sin out into the open... It cannot thrive anymore. It cuts it off. It brings it into the light, and the darkness has to flee. That's why, you know, we look at this, we say, oh, what a terrible verse, how mean this all. This is wise. This is beautiful. So, um, if he, if, but if he refuses even to hear the church, this whole group confronting this brother or sister in love, trying to get them to, to admit it, to confess, so that the things can be restored, he says, then if they, they won't even hear... Then let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. What does that mean? Well, I've heard a couple different things, and we know the truth of how do you treat heathens and tax collectors? You treat them with love like you treat everybody else. You love people. Jesus loves sinners. He loves tax collectors. But I don't think that's exactly what's being said here. I think the issue is, is here you've been dealing with this person on the basis of they're a brother. That they're one of you. That there's a certain expectation that we know how to handle conflict in the church. But they are so rebellious and so hardened about what they're doing. And you've seen it. We've all seen it. That they won't hear. Their eyes, their ears are shut. They don't want to hear a thing. 
So we, we they're, evidently they're not saved. So you have to deal with them on the level of someone who's not saved. So the question is, when someone who's not saved, who's not a Christian, sins against you, how do you deal with it? Well, you, you forgive them. You move on. You deal with them on ter- in terms of evangelism, absolutely. But you might want to not have close personal fellowship with that person because they're living in, in ongoing rebellion and sin. So you know what? We were close at one time. You're refusing to deal with this issue. I don't know if I want to be part of that life. So it's not, you know, excommunication from, ah, oh, you're out of here. You're, you're the only sinner in the bunch and you're out. No, we all recognize we got our struggles, right? So we come humbly like a child, not, you know, not childish with all of our emotions raging and all that. We come humbly like a child. Seeking to have this reconciliation. And, and if they won't, what it means is, look, they're probably not saved. Because if they were saved, they would work it out. So you deal with them on that level, a heathen and a tax collector, someone who doesn't know. You know, someone who's not saved, we can't expect them to understand the things we understand about reconciliation. The Bible says as much as it's possible with you, be at peace with all men. Sometimes it's not possible because the other person has such a war going on inside of themselves, they can't, they can't forgive, they can't be at peace, they can't confess that. So he says, to, you know... You deal with them as, as someone who's not saved. Verse 18, quickly, and if I could have the folks that are going to serve communion be prepared, I'm going to move through this quickly today. Um, I don't want to leave these last two verses out because it's important for you to see this. Verse 18, Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, there's not a demon anywhere close to this verse here, is there? The last demon was chapter 17. I think chapter 17. The, yeah, the... So there's no demon anywhere around this verse. What does this have to do with? As a church, dealing with conflict, making decisions about how to resolve situations as a fellowship. And if we, as a group, are determining, deciding, that here's how we're going to handle this. And, and we, you know, when, when someone talks of a contract, they see the contract was binding. Here's what we're going to do. And it's when we choose to deal with sin in our group, it's sin that has become public, that has become known as causing issues, then God says, I'm with you because it's already been determined in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth has already been bound in heaven. God has already called sin, sin. So we're not doing anything new or detached from him. We're operating actually with him. But when that person confesses and we welcome them back in with open arms, we loose them from the, uh, from, from the issue, from the discipline, and we forgive them, that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning Steve's property in Maui, and they ask it, it'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. So we're all going to pray today for my vacation property in Maui. Because it says whatever we agree on, will you guys agree with me that I need a vacation? Can I get, can I get an amen on that? No. All right. We know that's, we know you don't have to check your brain at the door. We know that's not a blanket statement for, uh, to, to name something and claim it because we just, you know, I find someone who agrees with me. What this is speaking about is as these issues take place in the church, we come to this place of prayer together over the situation. And as, as we're praying and the Lord reveals something to this person in prayer, and this is why cr- corporate prayer is so wonderful. The Lord's revealing something to that person. Happened this this past Thursday at men's prayer about a different issue. One of the guys in the fellowship prayed about something and I was thinking the same exact thing. 
I'm like, man, that's of the Lord. We're both, the Lord put it on both of our hearts and by the mouth of two or three witnesses, a matter, a matter is established. So man, that must be what the Lord wants to do. So again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, and it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Now look, verse 20, for where two or three are gathered together in my name. That means doing something, you know, you're not going to um, start a swimming scholarship in my name. Because you know I, I'm not a good swimmer. I share that all the time. So you wouldn't necessarily start a swimming scholarship in my name. But if, if you had someone, a loved one, and you wanted to honor them, you would do something that, like, I'm not going to feed a steak dinner to the church in my wife's honor because she's allergic to beef. So I'm not going to feed you guys steak because it wouldn't honor her. So when we're gathered together in his name, that means we're gathered together to do things that he uh, approves of which is reconciliation, which is dealing with sin. Um, don't turn there. Read it later on. Uh, I had you mark 1 Corinthians 5. When you get home, check it out. This is a, a practical situation that Paul had to deal with in the church, in Corinth. And the ultimate goal was reconciliation. And Paul said, look, we've got to deal with this. We've got to purge out the leaven. Because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. We've got to deal with these things. And so when two or three are gathered together working through these issues... Jesus says, when you decide to do that, I'm with you in that. This doesn't have anything to do with church as far as how many people make up a church. I can be alone and pray and the Lord is with me. I don't need you to have the Lord with me. He dwells in me. But when we're not sure what to do and and two or three are gathering together to deal with this issue, to pray over it, to seek reconciliation, the Lord says, man, I love that. I'm in the midst of that. That's what God wants to be in the middle of. That's what Jesus is not in the middle of of, uh, the sin police, chasing down people's sin, uh, condemnation, all those things. But the Lord is in the midst of confrontation. He is in the midst. Didn't he confront the Pharisees about their sin? You hypocrites, he would say. He didn't like that, so he confronted them about it. So what a beautiful message for Communion Sunday, isn't it? I was... Maybe for some of you a hard message. But, you know, look, as a pastor, this is where, this is, this is what separates us from the world, folks. Because we are committed to Christ and we are committed to one another. Period. If something happens to you and you choose to leave this church, that is fine. We don't have a membership. You are free to go. But do this first. Resolve your conflict and then leave. Don't leave with a string of unresolved conflicts because it's you who will suffer. It's you who will need to learn finally how to deal with these issues in your life. Amen? So as the folks that are going to serve communion um, begin to do so, Phil's going to lead us in a, a song. And then if we have time, we'll have a time of, just take this time to think about, ask the Lord, who is it, Lord? Where are my broken relationships? What am I doing wrong? Uh, who have I offended or who, have, who has offended me? Because, oh, Lord knows, I want this to be a healthy. I don't care how many people fill the chairs. I don't care if we have a huge church. But we want a healthy church, don't we? A healthy church is not one without conflict. A healthy church is one that knows how to handle its conflicts. Amen? I hate to fall into routine (laughs) because sometimes we can just go through routine without thinking.
So here's what I'd like to do. You know, we, we take our time on Communion Sunday, and um, I know you all are holding the, the body of Christ and the, and the blood of Christ. So here's what I want to do first. Um, let's just think about the body of Christ. We're going to think about this is my body broken for you. That he was a sin bearer. He bore our sin on the cross so that we might be reconciled to God. I mean, God, Jesus is all about reconciliation. Matter of fact, this morning, as you hold the, the bread in your hand and you think about his body and just how brutally it was beaten, how terribly uh, he was treated, not for himself, but that's what it took so you could get back to God. And, and in the Bible, we read about 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I stand here today as an ambassador of Christ. Not to condemn you for your sin. There is no condemnation in Christ. But to beg you, if you're not already, to be reconciled to God. Because if, if you can't be reconciled to God and get that relationship right, this one is going to be very hard. And I don't think you'll get that one right either. This is where relationship starts. Up, up between us and heaven. So... When Jesus was with the disciples, he took that bread, he broke it, and the cross hadn't happened yet, it was still in the future. They didn't understand what was going on fully, completely. He said, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance or in honor of me. Let's partake of just the bread. Thanks, George. Now you've got the cup in your hand. And before we go ahead and partake of that, the blood of Christ, uh, I'm just going to open it up. Rob, do we have a microphone somewhere in the back? Okay, Mike's got it. You know that oftentimes we open it up to you guys uh, to share a verse from the Bible, uh, a word of encouragement, uh, some exhortation, something that the Lord has put on your heart to share with the congregation. Um, if that's you, if you want to, to share something, maybe from the message, a reflection, another verse that relates, or a, something of that nature, then stand up where you are. You know, every, Anybody that wants to can stand up, and Rob will make his way around one at a time and give you the mic. Oh, so Rob or Mike's, it doesn't matter, either one. I guess, Mike, you're probably qualified to handle the microphone, too. Uh, uh, just stand and, and um, take this opportunity to share if you want. We're going to sing uh, one more song as a congregation. We'll partake of the blood, and then we'll sing a final closing song. Hands, uh, the representation of the blood of Christ, um, his life, really. And the life of the flesh is in the blood, and uh, he gave his life completely so we could have life. Uh, there's nothing that we are that we are of our own doing, it's all because of him. And there is one thing that ties every, I don't care what color your skin is or where you grew up 
or what, how much money you have in the bank or what kind of job you have or if you're unemployed. None of that matters. The one thing that ties everybody in this room together is the blood of Jesus Christ because his life courses through all of our lives. And it is the great equalizer that there is none that comes here deserving. There is none that comes here worthy. Not one. Not the best dressed or the worst dressed. God has no partiality. I mean, he doesn't feel any, any different toward you. Whether you're extremely poor or extremely wealthy doesn't matter to him. In terms of your salvation. It's, and it's a great equal. So when someone is wronged, we recognize, you know what? We wronged God. We lived apart from him. We lived against him for so long in our lives. And if he's willing to forgive me, shouldn't I be willing to, to go and, and seek that reconciliation with a brother or sister in Christ? The blood of Christ just it cleanses us, washes us, runs through our veins, gives us our life. The life of the church is in the blood of Christ. And, and just as he took the bread, he took that cup. And again, not understanding the fullness of what it would mean and the significance of that meal they were eating. He said, this blood is the blood of a new covenant. It's a new deal. A new situation. God doing everything on our behalf. And it says, often as you drink it, folks from Calvary Chapel Fluvanna on Super Bowl Sunday, as often as you partake of this blood, we do it and we remember just what he did for us. Partake in Jesus' name. Uh, we're going to close with a final song, and once the song finishes, you will be excused. But remember, the passage we read said, if you know that uh, someone has offended you, you go to them between the two of you alone. Today might be a great day for that. Right after church, you grab that person, you say, man, I can't believe we've let that come between us. Or you go home, you make a phone call before you sit down to enjoy the Super Bowl. Uh, you deal with it and, and you watch what the Lord does as we obey him. Amen. Let's stand and we'll sing a closing song.